So, Dr. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a long time planning this one. I really, really appreciate your patience in organising this. I know it's obviously difficult to find a time and come in, <laughs> and I couldn't think of anyone better to have this conversation with today. It's one we've not managed to have so far on the podcast, and I couldn't think of anyone better than yourself to go through the history of the gender pain gap. I read your article earlier, which your most recent one, which was amazing. And I know, obviously, with your other experiences, including sitting on the board at Clue, we're going to have a great chat about some menstrual cycle tracking topics which is really important because I see a little bit of resistance there at the moment due to maybe some of the stuff that we're seeing in the news. So I'm excited to unpack that with you. But before we get into all of that, um, let's tell the, the listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself, your backstory, qualifications and how we've ended up here today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. Um, as you said, it's been a little bit little bit of time waiting to get here but I am like you very pleased that we finally got round to it um yeah to kick off a bit about me that's always what people ask don't they and it's always like okay how do I condense everything I've yeah. done into a short and interesting um review of things but I like to think about how I've got to where I've got to today is very much a career um in two halves uh I'm always have been and I always will be fundamentally a scientist and that to me is just being super curious and wanting to know why um, and there then comes the medicine part and being a doctor of saying okay now we know why how can we make it better so that's really me in a nutshell um, and then what that led me to do is in the first half of my life it was concentrating on medicine so the whole med school straight through to qualifying as a doctor working the wards and hospitals, working out in GP, and trying to determine where's the best place to go. And I just really loved obstetrics and gynecology. And I'll be honest, I didn't necessarily go into that field seeing it as a focus because I had a deep, deep passion in women's health. I just was attracted to the type of medicine and the science that sat behind obstetrics and gynecology. I definitely saw that there was still a lot unknown and therefore I thought, you know, this is really great. There's a lot more to understand, a lot more to research. Um, and what I really loved about obstetrics and gynecology, which comes to my future points, is that it covers so many different bits. Um, you know, we're, you know, obstetrics, we're thinking about pregnancy, we're thinking about the health of the mum and the health of the baby. Um, in gynecology, where we think about women's health, more than just reproductive health but if we focus in on that we're thinking about gynae cancers we're thinking about lack of periods painful periods um, infertility uh, urogyne so difficulty with the bladder prolapse etc so it covers a whole spectrum um, but looking back I, even when I was doing that and I worked for the NHS specializing in obs and gynae for well over a decade um, I never really saw myself as working in women's health. I just saw that this is what I did. I didn't really think about it in that way. And then um, in the latter years, I started to think very much about, I love doing my clinical work. I love seeing patients face to face. It's fantastic to be able to understand where somebody is coming from. And I, as I said, I'm curious and I love to problem solve. So I had that every single day with every single patient I saw and I loved it. But I started to see that I was saying the same thing to different people, but again and again and again. And one month was the same as the next month, which was the same as the next year. And five years down the line, I thought, you know, we're going through generations and we're still seeing generational problems and this isn't good enough for me. 
And so I really wanted to step out of that and move into something that was bigger. So it felt natural to move into public health, where we're looking at the health of a nation, the health of a population. And I worked there for a number of years at Public Health England, did a lot of stuff. But then I was just like, hmm. Uh, there's some areas I haven't looked at and I really want to dive into those a bit deeper. So that was really the bridge of moving into the second half of my life. And that was focusing around health, but more from a commercial business innovation point of view. And a bigger part of that was obviously health tech. And I started quite general as a clinician moving into health tech. And then I actually was like really missing the women's health part. And that's where I started to develop this understanding that I had been working in women's health. It's a massively underserved, undermet area of healthcare. It needs a lot of research, a lot of money, a lot of expertise. We've got a long way to go. And so, you know, that brought me to thinking, I'm going to focus in on that. And that's really where I am now, that I bring very much my clinical understanding and the science and medicine that sits behind that in women's health. And I've moved that into a much more innovation, education and implementation of what can we do. And ultimately where I am now is moving, you know, progressing and improving the standard of women's healthcare. That's all I care about. And I can see that can be done in lots of different ways and it has to be done. We can't just rely on the earlier version of me as an obstetrician and gynecologist and say it all just sits on that gynecologist. It doesn't. There's so many players in this. Um, and, and that's where I try to work across that ecosystem in women's healthcare. And everything, you know, at the heart of it is improving the standard of women's healthcare for sure. That was so cool. You definitely did a great job of making it very interesting. <laughs> I love you. how everything's kind of come back full circle mm. to women's health. But I mean, there's so many really fascinating things you said in there that I want to unpack. But one thing that I find really interesting is how you said that you were working in women's healthcare, but you didn't really know or refer to it as women's healthcare right it's just mm. healthcare yeah and I believe it was you that that said that in a in a blog that I read a, a little while back which was like eventually at some point in the future we probably need to move you know it just Definitely. needs to not be referred to as women's healthcare it's just healthcare yeah and I found that really interesting because I'd only ever referred to it heard it referred to as women's healthcare or femtech right yeah so the idea that actually as silly as it sounds but the idea that actually it's just healthcare mm. and then it, then it really kind of begs the question okay well if it is just healthcare and we live in England and we've got the NHS why do we not have this standardized uniformed approach to healthcare mm. why do women receive worse waiting times worse diagnostic times why are they listened to less I mean there's there's so much to unpack mm. there there's so there's so many questions but mm. yeah just find it really interesting that you were like I was working in women's healthcare that even really referring to it as women's healthcare now we have this term femtech which is only a handful of years old mm. um and, and that's yeah it's just very interesting how that landscape is is moving definitely and i think actually i've never thought about it until you just said it but yeah very much like what i've personally experienced of not thinking i work in women's healthcare and now very much being i work in women's healthcare but we need to get to a place where we yeah. just call it healthcare is that cycle there when we're at med school, we're taught medicine and nothing is differentiated between men and women. Nothing. Which is crazy, isn't it? And so, and, and I just want to say like, as a kind of caveat to what I'm just going to talk about, I know that there's an awful lot of girls and women who uh, are listening to this and will have had a horrendous experience. 
And I don't want anyone to think that I am reducing that experience at all. But in my experience, from what I do when I've practiced clinically and the colleagues I've worked with, no one's gone into women's healthcare with a vendetta or a deliberate want mm. to ignore women, not listen to them, dismiss them, give them the wrong medication, give them the wrong advice. I know that that does happen, but I think it's it's much rarer than perhaps we talk about. I think it's more of a ignorance, a lack of awareness, a lack of education, a misunderstanding and a misinformation. I don't think there's a deliberate vendetta there at all. And it's then a question of, okay, so how did we get to where we are? And that's where I'm saying, like at med school, you know, we're all very, we're learning, you know, we're blank canvases. And, and it's not being pulled out there that look, hold up, there's a difference here. You know, there's a difference that when you see a woman with chest pain to when you see a man with chest pain, there is a difference. You need to think about different things. You need to do different types of investigations. You need to consider different diagnoses. You need to look at different types of management. That is not how it happens. And so obviously, when you move that medical student forward to qualifying as a doctor and then moving forward and they may work in A&E, they may work as a GP, they may work as an obstetrician and gynecologist like myself, you have to think that this is the basis that they came from. So this is why there is a lack of understanding and a lack of awareness. It's not right. It definitely is not right. But I just want to explain that that's where people are coming from. Now, there's lots of, and we can de dig deeper into why is that? Um, and there's lots of reasons. And But I think the important bit at this stage is to say, we need to acknowledge that the healthcare that we are taught and we teach others it, within the medical profession as healthcare professionals, not just to doctors, to nurses, to physios, to occupational therapists, across the whole, whole range of healthcare professionals. What we are teaching is non-sex um, differentiated medicine. And that is a problem. And when we talk about healthcare overall, what we're actually talking about is healthcare for males. And what we don't have, and we're trying to scrabble around with very little resource, um, fantastic work, fantastic people, but it's the lack of resource that means that everything is so slow and everything is quite fragmented. And so we've got great bits of work here and there, but we're not really having the impact that we need to. And so where we need to get to is a place where we do see that you know, males and females are different. They've got different diagnoses. They've got different presentations of symptoms and signs and they need different management. But to be able to get there, we're not gonna be able to do that overnight. And so I think where I'm trying to put us in a place is to kind of show how the differences are so that people recognize that there is a need for difference with the hope that when we've done the work, um, then we can join this all back together. And that's where it will become healthcare. And we will understand that there are differences. And, you know, obviously, as I said at the beginning, what is the heart of my work is improving the standard of women's healthcare. But, you know, I am not in any way stating that the difference between um, males and females is 
only is the only difference that exists in healthcare. There is a lot of other issues around age, a lot of issues around um, race and ethnicity, uh, which we don't pick up at all. And all of these areas need to be looked at again, and, and we need to go through. But just as an example of what I'm talking about is that because you know, we were talking about this a moment ago about when women were allowed to be in clinical trials. So the regulator in the US is the FDA and they had stated up until 1993, which blows my mind because, you know, that's when I'm at secondary school doing my A-levels kind of thing, heading into into a medical school. And they still haven't got women in clinical trials. They've stated, you know, up until 1993, women couldn't be part of clinical trials. And again, that wasn't done in a negative way. It was done with the belief that there was a concern over women could be pregnant, as in the women who were participating could be pregnant, and we wouldn't want to be doing testing on women who were pregnant. Now, obviously, there's like ways to determine if someone's pregnant. So there is a, a workaround, but it became too difficult. I think there was probably more nuance to that. There was the fact that we didn't really appreciate and we were concerned, and I say we as like the scientific body, um, were concerned about how the hormones, for example, the biology would have a play when you're looking at whether this drug's going to work or not. And so it was deemed in some camps to be easier, in inverted commas, to say, or just don't don't have women included and then obviously the tide changed and it was like look we're missing out a massive amount and and we can't assume what we see in a man is going to be what we see in women so so there was a big change in 1993 and women were able to participate in clinical trials but what we have is like all of this evidence and this data this understanding that's happened previous to 1993 has put us in a position to say okay well this drug in the pharma industry, when we took it to a clinical trial, let's say in 1990, it didn't work. So it's not going to work for, for like diabetes. I'm just making this as an example. Um, and and you're like, okay, fine, doesn't work. That's it. You know, back to the drawing board or whatever. And that gets thrown out. There are all these drugs that have been tested but only been tested in men for conditions that exist in men and women, such as diabetes. And it's just like, oh, do you not think we should go back round and test these all again in women? Because maybe it doesn't work in men, but it could work in women. These are like the fundamental differences that you're like, there's so much opportunity here. We've missed so much. But I tried to just say, we can't change the past, we can change the future. So let's look at this in a positive light. Let's look at the opportunity. What are we doing with regard to this? And then that's when it then gets on my nerves I'll be honest when people go you know women's health is just so niche <laughs> I'm like how is half half of the population niche and the fact is that if you were just commercially minded and just thinking about market size and just thinking about return on investment if I said to you everything that we already have and we've taken to a point in the pharma industry within clinical trials and we just haven't tried on half percent half of the population then that makes some really good maths there. Um, and if you want to call that girl maths, I'm quite happy to fly the flag of girl maths. I blimmin' love maths. And um, that's really good maths. And if you don't think that that's an opportunity, then you need to relook at how you're gauging whether something's an opportunity or not. So, you know, 2024 was definitely the year that I decided that I'm really going to knock that 
women's health is niche that we're just knocking that on the head and now wherever i post in social it's hashtag women's health is not niche <laughs> it's just like we've got to change this idea because for too long we have assumed that when we talk about healthcare, that that must have encompassed healthcare for women and our knowledge and our understanding was all about healthcare for women but in actual fact because of that history it's predominantly been healthcare uh, understanding and knowledge creation within a man and then assumed that that carried over to women that isn't the case we now are seeing really good evidence and we have been for many years but we're starting to really gather momentum here and making change and when you see things like the white house initiative that's saying actually this is massively an under-resourced area. We don't know what we're doing. And we know that we don't know what we're doing because when you look at the outcomes, when you look at morbidity, when you look at mortality, we know that there is a deficit in women against men. So there's something not happening. There's something not working. Something's not right. We need to look at that. And I love the way that they're going right back to the drawing board and saying, we need to start with at the beginning of this cycle, our understanding and therefore let's look at the research and let's put money and hopefully a lot of money into research and and we'll then run out from there but that's what we need i love that there's so much i want to unpack there <laughs> which, which is amazing you've done a brilliant job of kind of describing the history of the problem that women weren't included in research and why that was and my understanding is that there's quite a big lag time between mm. research being conducted you know, conclusions being drawn to the point where they're then obviously being taught and then that obviously education feeding into what, you know, the application and public knowledge, right? And that, that lag time can be 10 years, 20 oh, years. Yeah. I mean, so I would work on 20 years from bench to accepted within the scientific medical arena. So when I worked at Cancer Research UK, I headed up their research um, uh, strategy. And it was like, what should we be looking at now? What should we be funding at lab? You know, I, I talk about like bench research, but it doesn't necessarily happen at a bench. But, you know, what should we be looking at from discovery side of research? Because it's going to be a problem in medicine. And there's going to be what we talk about burden of disease. So a lot of people are going to be struggling with this problem, whatever the problem is. What's going to be that problem in 20 years time? Because that's roughly on average the time that we're looking at. Obviously, it can take a lot, lot longer, but that's just 20 years to doctors knowing about it and talking about it. Then I would put easily another 10 years onto that with regard to a doctor talks about it, but a person is aware of it in their normal day-to-day -day life. There is enough understanding, like where we talk about if we ask the children, you know, kids now, what do they know about smoking? They know it, you know, the vast majority is we know smoking's not good, we know it's bad for our health, we know it leads to lung cancer. Um, and it's interesting to see how things are developing with regard to vaping and stuff at the moment. It's really interesting to see those that behavioural science. Um, and we have to take that into consideration. It isn't just saying we need to understand what's going on. It's like, it's that implementation. And if we don't think about the implementation, we might as well not really bother with the understanding because you've got to complete that cycle to have an impact. Yeah, completely agree. So if we kind of take 1993 as the point where women started to be included in research yeah. like 30-ish years ago, mm. and we have kind of at least a 20-year lag time, then that really kind of sets the tone for what the problem is here. Yeah, yeah. So where that puts it, like, really, we've only really been able to increase our understanding in the women's health area, roughly speaking, in the last 10 years. And if you think of a field, 
you know, if you say we've only been looking at cancer for 10 years, that's just so young, yeah. so, so young. So I think, you know, this is an exploding area and I'm so excited for that and I'm definitely like yourself we're we're all on that ride and we're trying to push that wave as much you know forward as much as possible and there's so many great people are doing that and that's the wonderful thing that you know there is so much interest in this and and I think probably it is successful with the very little resources that we've had so far because women are feeling like someone is speaking to what they've been experiencing what they experience now but also what they experience maybe they saw their older sister and then what they felt when they were a young kid and what they saw their mum go through and what they saw their grandma go through or their aunt or whatever that's what I'm saying I'm just saying in any woman's life right now you know I'm 42 I can you know think back of the last 30 years and it's not just my experience it's all of my friends and families on top of everything I've seen clinically um but I'm excited I'm really excited I look forward and I, and you know I look at my daughters you know and, and and they're very young you know in the sort of around the age of 10 and and you know they've got this all ahead of them but they are so much more informed than I was. I mean, mainly, I like, <laughs> I do kind of question it sometimes because some of my mates are like, you really talk to your kids about that? And I'm like, hell yes, I do. Um, they need to know about it all. And I, and I would love them to do that. But, you know, I do get that they get a slightly different view as a, having as mum as a gynecologist. <laughs> but I'd like to think that that becomes quite default, you know, and there's some great people out there doing some great work with regard to that. Um, and, and, you know, if if we build generations of girls and boys, it's so essential. It's about population health as well as that individual person's health. If we build that generation where people are more informed, then they will be more empowered and so they will be able to advocate for themselves. And I find advocacy is quite a loaded term in medicine. It's it, My experience is often people have said that person couldn't advocate for themselves as though there's been a wrongdoing there and I and so often that has been the situation but actually in my experience what I what I felt when I was seeing patients is if somebody could come to me and say this is where I'm at this is what I'm experiencing this is what I'm worried about what might be going on this is how I would like my life to be or you know I'd like this pain to stop or I'd like to be able to do this or whatever then I think that's advocacy and that and that that helps me you know we're doctors we are not magicians and so I don't know what you're thinking and I definitely don't know that in a 10 minute consultation time especially when you're feeling nervous understandably and you're feeling worried understandably as well as there being a massive stigma and taboo around things so if somebody could walk in and then tell me you know, this is what my period is like and I don't like that and I know it shouldn't be like that. That's what I'm telling my daughters. I'm saying, biologically, your period will be painful. But this is not a situation that you have to accept. It is common. It is not so normal so that you mean you feel that you have to accept it. And that is how I am teaching them. And that is what I think will make a massive difference to that generation going forward. 
we, you know, and I put myself in this group, we have used normal in women's healthcare for too long. It's normal for labor to be painful. It's normal for your periods to be painful. It's normal for you not to want to have sex. It's normal for you to um, be incontinent after you've given birth. All of this is normal, so go away. It's not a problem, accept it and carry on with life. If you put all of that out, to your child or to a man, that's not normal. Nobody would think that's normal. But it's just accepted practice. When you give birth, many people become incontinent. Yes, biologically, we understand in the mechanism of why that's happened, but that doesn't make it acceptable for that. I mean, if the woman's happy, that's absolutely fine. I'm not saying that a woman should should not be happy. I personally don't think that's a quality standard that we should be reaching for. But I'm not advocating that everybody needs everything sorted. But what I'm trying to say here is that you shouldn't be, if you think it's a problem and you should know that a change like that is a problem, then there's something that can be done about it. And oh, I could go on and on about incontinence. It's a real bugbear for me because there is a certain brand that advertises very widely, especially to women in the fitness industry, because their adverts include women in the gym lifting weights. And they say, you have a problem leaking, that's especially worse when you lift weights. Yes, we know that because you're putting force on the pelvic floor. Um, and I know that you've had Baz Moffat, I love her so much. And she's just like my pelvic floor buddy, like, we really rant on about this. But basically it's like, yeah, we get it. You're putting more force on the pelvic floor when you're lifting weights. But if you are not, if you are leaking urine at that point, the answer is not to buy a pad to absorb urine. The answer is to identify that this is a problem and if you want something to be done about it, there is a treatment for it. And actually when you go to gynecology and you go to urogynecologists, they're saying, how are these adverts okay? Because it's suggesting that this is normal and acceptable, that you leak urine. And this is not something that you need to accept as a woman. This is something that can be managed. And, you know, when we're looking at, we can put somebody on the moon, but we're just gonna say to women, oh, you know, if you now leak urine, that's just on you go. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and a woman wrote the code for that, right? Yeah. Put us on the moon. Yeah, yeah. I just saw recently somebody. Um, uh, I, can't, I think I can't think who'd put it out there, so I don't want to put it down to the wrong person who put it out there. It's great, so I really want to give praise where it's due. So apologies for not looking into it. But there was a great thing at the moment saying how much the government is investing in potholes. Potholes, I saw that. Versus how much they're putting into women's health. Yeah. So the numbers are like, what is it? 25 million for a women's health strategy. And that, when they say strategy, they also mean not just come up with a plan, come up with a plan, implement it and improve yeah. the standard of care all under 25 million. But they're what, how much are they putting by a factor of 10? It was, I'm sure it said 2 billion, didn't it? Oh, no, it can't be. No, I mean, there high. are an awful lot of potholes, to be fair. Well, the, ne the next but, slide was the comparison between the amount yeah. of women and the amount of potholes. Wasn't it? Yeah. So, like, even if they said, like, it's 250 million, so it's yeah. increased by a factor of 10 in potholes. Now, potholes cause a lot of damage. 
But as I said to my husband, you know, damage to my car is far easier to fix and far less problematic than damage to my body and to my mind. It's just like, where is the head at here? Where are the priorities at? And I don't, I actually still to this day, I don't fully understand. I don't know whether in this instance, the government is using to ignore it or whether they think it is already covered within the realms of everything that they're putting into healthcare. And this is where I'm really trying, along with some other great people, to say what we do in healthcare does not trickle down into improving the standard of women's healthcare because it's all pushed towards building on the knowledge that we have in men. And, yeah. and that's the ultimate problem here. Hey, it's Leo here. Just very quickly interrupting this podcast episode to share with you a really exciting announcement. The Nexus team are now available to take on new one-on-one -on -one online nutrition clients. So if you're interested in working with myself or anyone on the team for your nutrition, health or body composition based goals, then follow the link in the show notes and you can see all of the information on what that might look like to work with us. Let's say, because the problem is multifaceted. Yeah. Um, you know, there is an, probably an element of responsibility on multiple people involved. Mm. So we had obviously had Bridget on last week, which was a really great chat to kind of go through the work she's doing at, um, on this at the moment. But let's say 30, 40 years down the line with money not really being an object, you could wave your magic wand what would the system look like in an ideal world to support women properly? Oh God, that's a massive question. It is a very big question. <laughs> I think, and and this is not going to be a comprehensive answer, and I'll probably walk out of here and think, oh, I should have said this as well. But the biggest thing that I speak about, and I kind of have as my, I suppose, North Star to work towards, is that, if at the level of the healthcare professional, when you're sitting in your GP surgery, you're sitting in A&E, you're running a clinic in dermatology or whatever, you're actually mentally clocking that there is a difference when you walk in as a man and I walk in as a woman. Yeah, I know we already think like that, but the fact is, is that mentally we clock it in and it's reinforced by the fact that when you pull up that patient's details on the electronic pa patient record you've actually got completely different set of questions that you're asking a completely different set of parameters with regard to the blood investigations you do completely different set of um science that we will have researched and determined to understand that actually if you are on the oral contraceptive pill and if it is combined or not combined, if you are on HRT, hormone replacement therapy and taking estrogen and progesterone and maybe testosterone, whatever the mixture of all of this, what is your base level that is a significant part of your hormones, but that isn't the only thing, that I now need to interpret everything you stay, say from the very beginning of this is what the problem is or this is what I wanted to see a doctor today about that base level is acknowledged and and is acknowledged to be different and we work from basically a different platform and and then i think yeah that would be a massive achievement because to get that to a place that that's been implemented so many of those as you say other players in this will have had to have come on board and recognize that we're not yet doing what we need to be doing and helping 
us get to that point. So I feel that that would be a real milestone that, you know, we can look back and go, yeah, to get there, we've had to get everything and it will be a much better place to have got there. Um, And I think the other side of it that's really important is it's not only the healthcare professionals, but that person themselves walking in and knowing that there will be a different system and there will be a different view of them because that they're female and there's a recognition and the questions that they're being asked and the checks of like, can I just check where you are in your cycle? Can I just check where, you know, how many children you've had? We understand all of this and the significance of all of these factors so much more that now someone's coming primed, ready to give all of that information. Um, and so that's why I know we're going to talk about, but that's why things like the period trackers, that's the beginning of that from that much more consumer patient side of things. No, I love that. I love the first part. I mean, I love both parts of that answer, but the first part in particular, I love just because it's it's kind of what I try to do at the moment is and often female clients, they'll complete my onboarding process and they will be like, why are some of these questions relevant? Mm-hmm. Why are you asking if I'm on birth control? What mm-hmm. one, as she said, is it is it combined? Is it androgen based? You know, am I on HRT? Do I not have a cycle? Whatever that might be. And even if the answers to those questions don't directly influence what mm-hmm. is in my scope of practice as a nutritionist, as an exercise professional, they're still really useful for me to have an understanding of where this person's at. Mm-hmm. And I think that having a relatively basic understanding of of kind of zooming out and painting this picture of, okay, you're on this type of birth control or you don't have a menstrual cycle. What other symptoms are you experiencing that are also flagging up on the form? And it might be chicken and egg, what comes first, Mm. correlation, causation, Mm -hmm. it's not my place to diagnose, Mm. but by zooming out and looking at this from a more holistic approach Mm. and asking over a hundred questions as opposed Mm. to the 10 minute consultation you get, Mm. it has allowed me to look at clients and go, there's something that's not right here Mm -hmm. and this is potentially part of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Many clients have gone back to their doctor that that's been what has facilitated them having a conversation and further down the line, they have been diagnosed with autoimmune or, you know, Hashimoto's. They have changed the birth control and had less side effects due to that. Or they have removed the hormonal birth control and they've got the coil. And Mm. because there is such, and because this is the pushback I often get right, it's not your job to do that as a personal trainer and Mm. nutritionist. I'm like, well, it needs to be someone's job. Yes. And if no one else is doing it, and I feel like I have just enough understanding to you know and I really try and downplay how much I know but like I know a little bit right to to look at a client's health forms look at what they're telling me look at what's going on potentially look at some some actual data some metrics where's your blood pressure where's your blood sugar Mm -hmm. it would be you know doing I would be doing them a massive disservice if I didn't go something's wrong here Mm -hmm. I actually saw a really great post about this the other day and it was and the the coach was like if someone comes to me and they want to lose 10 pounds and I just clearly see all of these other issues that this client is experiencing and I ignore them because they've come to me to lose 10 pounds I'm doing them a disservice like you as the doctor if they come to you and go okay well I've got headaches and you go, oh, well, I can also see this symptom or I'm getting this yeah. or I think this might be happening. You don't just you don't just go, oh, well, you didn't come to me for that. Yeah. You still have that conversation, right? So exactly. looking at a client and going, okay, kind of what hormonal state are, are you in? Are you highly stressed? Are you under eating? Have you got HA? You know, you're missing your cycle. Mm-hmm. Whatever that might be, that is so, so important for me as a fitness professional and nutritionist. And I would absolutely love to see that kind of screening process be the default in the fitness industry, which is why we're trying to build it. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually in healthcare, so that, you know, if you are sitting there as a woman, that whether you have PCOS or you don't, or you're on birth control, you don't, or you're on HRT, of course, that needs to be, that is the foundation of where your internal hormonal profile is set. So then why is the conversation about your health not coming from 
that personalized starting point it blows my mind that it's not already mm. but i love that that's part of your answer as to where hopefully Definitely. we'll end up it has to be doesn't it and you know i think you captured it really well by saying that what you're doing is understanding where someone is you know and building that picture and i think we've just missed missed completely the complexity of people and this goes across men and women um and you know often there is a pushback i find where people say yeah but you know this isn't happening in men's health and that and i said well i never said it was great i was just that that's not the area i'm working in it doesn't mean i don't care about it yeah. and i don't think it's Can't important it's just that's not where my focus area is um and i'm you know spent a long time i spent all of my career in women's health and i understand women's health um and and there's still a lot more to know and a lot more dots to connect for sure um but that's just where I'm working. And if I was working in men's health or if I was working in space, you know, you understand your field. I wouldn't start to say, we, you know, that everything else is fine and this is the only one that's not fine. So I find that that, that isn't really an argument. That doesn't have legs. Um, so that just needs to be dismissed. Um, but I think it's really important that you say it's about a picture because you can't have any impact. And at the end of the day, all of this in health and well-being and in fitness you're not you're not doing anything useful if you don't have an impact everybody's coming to you with a problem um and so you need to have you need to solve that problem for them and have an impact and how on earth it's like trying to build a jigsaw puzzle where you're blindfolded your hands are tied and then even if you eventually somehow to do it um and you know the lights are off and somehow you do it they're like oh yeah by the way like half of the pieces are missing but yeah if you could just make a nice picture and you're like and that's where we are at the moment um and so it is about trying to bring on all these pieces in a different way and i love the fact that you are interested in it but more so that you're actually doing something and i completely disagree with people who say that is not your job because for two reasons one you're only going to improve things if you don't work in a siloed fashion and you don't say, no, leave that to me because I'm a doctor or leave that to me because I'm a physiotherapist or whoever it be. We can't cover everything, as we just said. And so you have to work, you have to rely on a team approach. And more so, you ultimately, it comes down to that person, whether that person is a person going to you within the fitness space or whether that person is coming, you know, to a doctor as a patient. You know, however they, they are and whatever they are, that person, it starts with them. They've got the problem and they need a solution and they're looking for an effective treatment, management, intervention, impact, whatever. But if you, if you basically, you know, say oh no it can only be across the healthcare professionals or even then limit it further and say it can only be across doctors for example that's not actually the trend that's not the way that people access health and well-being and fitness information and services they access it partly through healthcare but they do more and more through consumer facing um approaches whether that be for services and for products and so if you don't meet people where they are then they're not going to come and meet you you know if somebody is going on 
you know, Google and searching their symptoms and they read something and that sends them to you from a fitness point of view, that person is perhaps very unlikely to have ever gone to their GP because that's where their mindset is at the moment. Um, whereas if they can meet you and you can build up a picture of where they are, and we all have a duty to be signposters. I know what I know and I know what I don't know, and that stops me from being dangerous. So if I have identified something which I don't know, I'm gonna tell you the right places to go. Um, and you might take a bit of a time, it might be a bit of a journey, but I'm not gonna pretend ever. We all have a responsibility to know that what are our limits of our ability. That's where the health and wellness industry gets a lot of negative um, issues because people work outside of what they can really understand um, and they try to pretend that they know more than they do. And that's where there's a problem. And that unfortunately does happen a lot within the women's health space. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't all be, you know, we've got to aim to be working in the right way. We shouldn't change our way of working and lower our expectations purely because some people are basically bad eggs and doing something not right. You know, we've got to push for the positive, not, and be aware of the negative, but not build a whole community that is just about how to stop bad eggs doing the things they're going to do because they're going to do it anyway and we're going to really lower the ambition and I, I'm not in for that at all no I love that <laughs> something I really want to emphasize that that you've said for any fitness professionals listening is meeting people where they're at mm. and I love that phrase we've actually got a slide on our pitch deck which says that <laughs> and this is exactly how I explain it it's like a lot of people aren't going to the doctors right mm. blanket statement exactly you also then layer in that you can't go to the doctors as a woman for a problem that you don't know is a problem because you believe it to be normal, normal. it's common mm -hmm. but it's not normal you've obviously done an amazing job of explaining that already right the most common examples being period pain cramps migraines so these women aren't going to the doctors in or people aren't going to the doctors in general you also can't go for a problem that you don't know is a problem because you've labeled it as normal however if your body is resulting in those health-based symptoms, you're p potentially having them as a result of living not the healthiest lifestyle, mm -hmm. which also potentially means you're not eating great, you're not exercising. So subsequently, somewhere down the line, you quite possibly decide that you wanna work on your fitness or your strength, or you might wanna lose a bit of weight or whatever. Mm. So then who do you go to for a fitness, nutrition, exactly. weight loss-based goal? You go to the personal trainer and the, the nutritionist. Mm -hmm. So it's exactly that i'm meeting these people where they're at if you are all of the amazing companies in the femtech space mm. they're doing incredible things but you can only market to people that already are looking for a solution to that problem mm. which really narrows down who you're who you're talking to whereas most women rightly or wrongly have some sort of health fitness uh you know weight loss toning up yeah. kind of kind of goal right um, and i'm not saying that's correct diet culture is a whole nother conversation yeah. but most of them do mm -hmm. so if they're looking for that and they're coming to me then i owe it to them to also have the knowledge of the other areas that could be going on with their health and then take them on that journey which of course always refers always results in referring out mm -hmm. but it's often i just know just enough to feel like i'm informing them on their symptoms maybe not being normal 
connecting the dots as to why that might be and then helping them as you said earlier just advocate which is so important mm. i think i've only have ever had i've said this a couple of times on the podcast but i've only ever had two female clients come to me that knew they had endometriosis mm-hmm. i've had four that had never heard of it 18 months later give or take two years later they've got an endometriosis diagnosis mm. but if they hadn't have gone through my onboarding process mm-hmm. if i just done a standard this is a you know very narrow health and fitness onboarding process because this is my scope mm. i never would have asked them about the period pain the painful intercourse the other symptoms of endo mm-hmm. i wouldn't have asked them about immune system based you know uh, symptoms about gut health based symptoms and subsequently kind of painted this picture off there's something going on here mm. which allowed them to advocate for themselves have the confidence to have that conversation get the refer- referral have the re- relevant testing and subsequently oh yeah i've got endometriosis mm. that's life-changing for that woman massively so you are doing women a massive disservice if you are a fitness professional and i feel like if you look at the adoption curve right for like the reason that this stuff sounds so crazy Mm. is that we're just so far over here (laughs) and i feel like in you know 10 20 years the the standard approach in the fitness industry and the medical industry will of course be incredibly different and then Mm. be like oh yeah they were right but now it's just (laughs) because you know the adoption isn't there the Mm. the approach isn't tailored based on gender it kind of sounds a bit crazy that that we're saying that drugs have never been tested in women but they react differently like Mm. it, it, it if you were telling me this five years ago, I don't think I'd be able to host this podcast because I'd just be like, this doesn't make sense in my brain. Yeah. Which is why I'm always so keen to really try and listen to like your stories, patient stories and, and what is the history of the problem so that for anyone listening that is like, it, it just sounds almost too ridiculous. Yeah. They can be like, okay, well like, I now get why this problem has occurred. Yeah, massively. And and I think, I suppose I come at it you know, there's there's two prongs to this. There's one which is you you know, in what you offer, that you know, that you're providing a safety net to say, look, I don't have to know everything. Nobody knows everything, but I know what I know, as I say, and I know what I don't know. And I'm just gonna pull out some things that sound like a red flag and probably direct you know, direct you to where you should probably go and have it looked at. But the other thing, so the so safety is 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 paramount, and and we you know very much as a doctor at my heart, you know it's to never do any harm for sure. But the other side of this is that ultimately, you know, and I say this a lot, you know, now I run my company and I'm advising startups in the women's health space, and actually that's grown a lot more. Companies are wanting to come on board in the women's health space with products and services, which is all great. And I do what I can to try and make it as successful as possible. But the one thing that I say again and again and again is you, if you just concentrate on delivering something that is effective, success will come. In whatever measure you measure your success, success will come. If you just have that as the one thing you need to do, is this going to be effective for this for a woman? And then, so when you're saying about, if you don't meet, if someone's coming with a fitness goal and you don't meet them where they are, how on earth are you ever going to be successful? How are they ever going to be successful? You know, and you, and I know because of previous conversations, you talk a lot about like, how much time have you got to put to this? When's a good time for you to do? What are the other stresses you have going on in your life? What you know, it's like there's exercise, but then there's also the eating, for example, and they go, you know, they're like yin and yang. And like, if you're doing a great workout, but you're not feeding your body in the right way, you're not going to be as successful. So it's, I feel like 
we are within health and well-being and fitness overall we are becoming much more attuned to this we think about the role of mental health for example and we understand about mental well-being i think that this is just we're at the very early stage to think that okay how you feel about yourself will affect your performance in the gym what you've eaten how you've slept will affect your performance in the gym where you are in your cycle, whether you're perimenopausal or not, whether you're postmenopausal, whether you've just given birth, whether you're in the early stages of pregnancy, all of those bits will also equally affect somebody in the gym on that day. But also the key thing about fitness is consistency. So when you see that actually biologically, you do not have a stable consistency biologically because you're going through hormone cycle and that you are, even if you're going through nine months of pregnancy, your pregnancy hormones are not consistent, they're not stable, they're changing as you go through the different weeks of the pregnancy. If you're in perimenopause, they are definitely not stable. You've got massive, massive fluctuations. That what give that's what gives rise to all of your symptoms. You know, if we look at hot flushes, it's because you've got these high swings and very low troughs of estrogen throughout perimenopause that your brain literally needs to adapt to. And when it adapts to the current level of estrogen, it swings again. And that's what's giving you these very different signals to your brain that is leading to these hot flushes because you're feeling hot um, because your body is sensing you to be at a different temperature than you actually are. And that's about how estrogen is important in signaling. It's a key part of the signaling to your brain. Um, not just about your temperature, but about a lot of things. So if we're not taking into the, this into account, you're not that person's not going to be successful with their fitness goals or with any health and well-being goals. And if you're not going to be if they're not going to be successful, then you're not going to be successful with whatever your product and services is, whether you in your company or whether you're a doctor or whatever you may be, no one's going to be successful. So I'm now coming at things much more like there's an opportunity here because the more we understand, the more successful you're likely to be with whatever your product and service is. So just focus on the success. Don't be like, oh God, why is it so different? Why do we not know these things? Do we really have to be bothered about that? Do we really have to worry about, you know, in our market, a woman could be pre-menopause or post-menopause. Does it really make a difference? Hell, yes, it does make a difference. And you should be curious and you should be wanting to push yourself to understand how and why it makes a difference and therefore what needs to change with your product and service with regard to that. Because that is how you're going to be successful. Just doing a blanket that every single woman is the same, you're never going to be successful because it's not going to be, because that's not true. And so you're not going to be effective. Yeah, brilliant. I'm glad you said that because it makes me feel a little bit less guilty about something that I've never really kind of publicly shared. But people often ask me why I'm passionate about like women's health because, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense at the first, right? And I'm like, I'm almost kind of not, if I'm being completely honest. Mm -hmm directly that passionate about women's health what i'm really passionate about is exercise and, and nutrition but exercise in particular right and to go one layer deeper the community the self-confidence that that can give especially in a group exercise environment due to you know my bringing and a bunch of other stuff that's not relevant mm -hmm. to this point but that's what i'm really passionate about and then after pt for a few years mm -hmm. you start to realize that women have this whole 
additional set of barriers like you just described mm -hmm. to exercising to doing it consistently to doing certain types and styles to doing it in a group environment because of potentially um you know like you were talking about earlier you know things like leakage or you might want to do that in a yeah. group environment so there's all of these additional barriers that women face to all of the elements of exercise different types of exercise doing it consistently the style etc mm. so it's like okay well if i'm truly passionate about getting everyone men and women to exercise more consistently in particular form a community and have an identity around being someone who exercises mm. then i can't not be passionate about women's health because i have to understand all of those hurdles that you as a woman might face that stop you coming on this journey of where i'm trying to trying to get you to yeah. so that is where the passion comes from exactly and, and now i love that i really really love that and it it makes perfect sense and actually your own experience and your own passion is a really great overview of how this whole bigger women's health thing is right from the start when we were talking you're saying oh there are these differences that now act as hurdles for women in fitness but you see had women started women's fitness groups had women started gyms how women had started weightlifting competitions and everything like this all of these factors wouldn't be a hurdle because we would have built around it. It would have been designed by women for women that would enabled women to do it. And so now we'd be having this conversation saying, oh, you know, the, um, you know, the equipment in the gym when I'm lifting weights and everything like that, um, it doesn't really fit me as a man because I, you know, I've got these other needs and that's a real hurdle to me wanting to go to the gym because I find that, you know, it really hurts because I'm not able to lift the weights properly because it doesn't really fit my size or the way that I move my body or my kind of waist to hip ratio, anything like that. And that's all it is. It's just, and people want to insinuate, well, some people want to insinuate that there's so much negativity and bitterness that women have and I, I just I don't have that I'm just like please stop pretending and having your eyes shut to the situation is that it was built and designed by men for men with the view that it would just carry over to women and it just doesn't and it's just like no one's got any beef here no one's like you know bringing any angst to the table we're just started by saying oh no there is a difference could we just accommodate and and make the changes where we need to um and it's not accommodate for women i definitely don't want that to get out there it's just accommodate for the differences and make changes um and then it just gets turned into this much bigger thing that you know oh women on such a rampage and there they go complaining again and it's just like you know, I worked in a company um, that was predominantly male and, and I'm talking about like 250 men to 20 women. Oh. And the building had, um, you know, the, the toilet situation. They had loads and loads of male toilets and urinals. And, and so basically what I'm talking about is the number of men who could get through the toilets was much quicker and they had a few female toilets. Um, and I was just like, well, you just need more toilets. Just, just you know, the, 
I'm not making it. I haven't got any angst here, but you've got women here and we need toilets and I can't, I can't use a urinal. So we need more toilets. And I was just like, and they're like, oh, you're being quite difficult. No, I just need to wee and you don't have a toilet or enough toilets for that to happen. And that's where the fresh, I didn't have frustration, but now I have frustration because you're pushing that back in my face. And I'm just like, now you're putting a hurdle in front of me. I was happy to just say there is a difference and we need to make changes. But now you say, oh, I'm being difficult because I've highlighted that there's a difference and something needs to change. That's what gets me frustrated. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you could, if you go in through a world and you think, um, you know, this could, if it had been designed, predominantly like women like it has been designed predominantly by men if it had been designed predominantly by women it would be very different and I'm sure we'd be having the same discussion but the fact that we'd now be talking about men's health and men's fitness and what the different needs are in men because there's a difference there's no bitterness here it's just that we're this is the reality we face um, and I think that there's so much more that can be done if we just all just kind of took out any negative feelings about it and just said okay fine what do you need so that you're in the workplace and you can stay here longer or what do you need that's going to help you um when you're experiencing whatever you're experiencing during pregnancy post-pregnancy breastfeeding perimenopause you know and i'm just listing some things but it doesn't all relate to just that it's just that as a woman going through cancer as a woman going through diabetes what are the differences here you know um and and if we just opened our eyes and just looked at how we could do things differently then you will see productivity and performance not just in the workplace but everywhere in every single corner of everything you will see it massively increase um you know and and i think we just don't think about that mm. enough I think that's a really great segue for something that you've touched on a couple of times, which I love. It's been a common thread on the podcast is staying curious. Mm. And I don't think you've exactly said these words, but that kind of translates into almost being your own scientist, mm -hmm. um, which then takes us onto, for example, menstrual cycle tracking, where it's like, okay, how can you start to be your own scientist? Stay curious, gather data about yourself so that you can obviously best learn your physiology, you know, work with it and, and potentially in certain situations, use that to help advocate for yourself. So yeah, I know that menstrual cycle tracking is something that, that you're passionate about and it has a, a lot of different benefits and mm -hmm. there potentially is a little bit of friction to doing it mm. so um yeah what is menstrual cycle tracking why should women consider it and then maybe let's touch on some of the privacy uh, stuff sure yeah no as you say like i'm a i'm a big big advocate i suppose of menstrual cycle tracking because i think it is there's no think about it it is a key um sign of our health and well-being as a woman as a woman just like when you look at the you know then there's lots of medical signs that we look at you know the color of the whites of our eyes how white they are the color of the skin um various other things that we look at a period for a woman is 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 fundamental to that um and the f you know we will talk in gynae I will talk all the time. When was the last period? When was the last period? And I love all the memes that you see about it. Like, basically, anything could be happening. It's like, okay, she's just come in from a road traffic accident. We're in A&E. 
you know, she's bleeding out from everywhere. But the gynecologist will be like, so when was your last period though? I do need to know this, this is critical. And it's like, yeah, we can take it a bit far, but it is a really, really important sign. And there, it happens, you know, for most women, you will experience periods. It's not something that you only have once in your life. You may have a regular period, you may have an irregular period, you may have a completely erratic period, you may stop, you may start, you're taking hormones, you may be pregnant, whatever. It's an ever-changing situation for sure. But the one thing is, is what you can't, you don't just have one period in your life. So it's not like that time, you know, where you can look back to think, I remember when I had my child. It's happened enough for you to forget how it happens, when it happens, and what it's like. And when you've got such an important part of understanding and meeting a play, meeting a person at the place there are is contingent on knowing about their period. But let's say somebody has a period, you know, roughly like every four to six weeks, and you're like, okay, so tell me about the last six months with your periods. They couldn't because it's it's part of their normal life, and that is totally totally fine and and that's what I would expect it to be but it's such a critical piece of evidence and understanding that you would need to be able to help and interpret what that woman is then saying that you're like you can't just leave that piece of the jigsaw puzzle out so much hence the importance of period tracking even if you think some people track their period because the period is the problem. It's very heavy. It's very painful. It's very erratic. They can't get pre pregnant. They, you know, or they don't want to get pregnant. There is a thing that the period directly relates to. But also if you're just like, you know, something around your sleep or something around, you know, you're suffering with joint pains or you know, it's not just related to the very much reproductive gynae specific issues periods is a sign around your general health and well-being and therefore we need to understand that with regard to this so that's why I'm always like everyone should be tracking their period because it's useful it's useful now but it's also useful in the future because when there is something that happens and we can't predict what that can be and it's not just related to reproductive health women are much more than just their reproductive health but we need to be like okay this vital sign we want to understand because when you're then like, how has your period changed? Oh, I don't really know. I know it's changed, but I don't really know. Okay, fine. Well, if you'd been tracking, that would have really, really helped you to understand. And obviously, the other thing is it can be an early warning sign. It can be an early indicator. You know, it's not just your period, but it's bleeding around your period, in between your periods, bleeding when you shouldn't be bleeding, like after menopause. That's a massive, massive warning sign. It's a real red flag. And so for someone who has got into the rhythm of knowing what they do with regard to their cycles and their bleeds and their peer you know their bleeds as in their periods but also their bleeds when it's not their period it's it's vital so yeah i'm all up for the knowledge is power number one that's how i should have started knowledge is power and therefore tracking your no, period brilliant. makes perfect sense <laughs> there's definitely i feel like a little bit of a, a shift happening albeit i'm very aware i live in a bubble but there's definitely a bit of a shift happening in my opinion i had a, a a new potential client reach out and exactly what you said there was like an early warning sign right mm -hmm. so obviously menstrual dysfunction occurs on a continuum so you know it's healthy it's slightly less healthy and irregular and then more stuff 
goes wrong. Mm. So exactly as you said, early warning sign. She actually reached out because she'd noticed in her, I won't say what app she uses because I don't think it was Clue, <laughs> but she was using a different okay. app. Um, and Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> and she started noticing over the last four months that they'd been becoming a little bit more irregular, longer and longer, kind of towards the 45 day mark. And mm. I was like, that is brilliant that you're trying to catch this exactly. early. And there was a lot of stuff once we jumped on the phone call that we could kind of correlate that started happening around that mm -hmm. five month mark. And then, you know, four cycles things started changing so mm. yeah like uh, early warning prevention is is so so important i know it's mm. obviously a you know a different area of the body a different system but blood pressure is referred to as the silent killer right yeah. and it's like it's not silent if you just put a cuff on yeah <laughs> like you're <meant laughs> like it's not i love you just, the way you say that that's so true it's pretty easy like i take i take it for my clients mm. or if they don't train first thing in the morning i give them the cuff they keep it for a few days they mm. tell me their blood pressure readings because mm -hmm. you know the last time they had it done maybe it was at the doctors and they were anxious and stressed i'm like just take mm. the cuff do it first thing in the yep, morning exactly so it's not silent it like takes 20 seconds mm. to get an answer and it's the same with menstrual cycle mm. you know dysfunction albeit you're maybe less likely or not directly going to die from it like you could blood pressure as mm. you've said it's still that fifth vital sign it's mm. really early you know a, an early warning sign of so many things that can mm. go wrong further down the line mm -hmm. so it's like why why is it not just the default that we that we track it yeah um, but hopefully at some point in the future it will be the default that women track their cycle yeah and i think also um it it's it it helps it's so much more beneficial with tracking it as you say about understanding their body and an early warning sign or even just recognizing something's changed and why is that changing and what's going on is to help them achieve other things with regard to contraception um, or pregnancy as well. I think just all of that encapsulates how empowering it is to a woman and that, you know, there is definitely my work with Clue that's really interesting and, and so thought provoking to understand the different cultures and to understand the different places where people are at in their lives with regard to their relationships, with regard to the work that they do, the conditions that they're living and working in, etc. And so this is like such a useful bit of information that really empowers a woman. And so we want women to feel as empowered as possible about themselves. And it gives them more control over how they want to, you know, about their decision making around their own body. Um, physically and mentally and emotionally and so it's it's really crucial for that um, and I think it it's just it also is a stage to be thinking about yeah I should recognize that there are differences between me and let's say my male partner or my male friends or whoever it is and and realize that we do things differently and and I would just love that people could really um think about their their cycle and and work out when things are good for them and when things are not so good for them and being more kinder to themselves and understanding how things work like you know you see this is completely different but it does relate you see people post christmas and they're like oh you've always you've enjoyed yourself and you know that's all just accepted there's a change in your body because you've maybe not eaten quite as well or um, you've just enjoyed yourself a lot more you've relaxed how you normally eat and the exercise you do and that's just accepted and that's a, a kindness we give ourselves and yet we don't pay that same kindness of like you know where are you at with regard to yourself and your cycle and where are you at with regard to your own life like you know being 
being post-birth to being pregnant to being pre-pregnant, they're just just miles and miles and miles apart. Um, and, and, you know, we kind of just say, right, well, I've just delivered a baby yesterday. You know, I've just given birth to my baby yesterday. So now I'm, I'm just pre-pregnancy again. Uh, why is things not working the same way as they need to do? Um, you know, and my daughter actually asked the other day, she said to me, oh, mommy, you know, when I see, watch programs and films and stuff, um, women are, who are pregnant are always talking about why they've got swollen ankles. Why have they got swollen ankles? And so I kind of went into explaining the biology behind that, the physiology and stuff. Um, and then I explained like, you know, then when you give birth, these are the changes that happens and this is the kind of timeline. She's like, you know, I never knew that. And I thought, yeah. And you'll grow up thinking that when you gave birth, you'll just be like that. And every, your biology mm. would just change back to that. And it's just, no, it won't be. There's just such a lack of understanding there. And so if people are tracking their period just as a beginning, I'm not saying that's the be all and end all. I'm just saying that's a great thing to start with. Then you can understand more about how women's bodies work, but then also how do your how does your body work? And if you can understand your body, then you can build when you're ready to build, whether that would be physically, mentally, or emotionally. And you can also rest and relax and recharge when you need to do that. And I definitely feel in my time, people talk about being older and being more experienced and you know what to do in your job a bit more. That's just because you understand yourself more. And that's all I'm saying. Let's just apply that to simple biology. If I understand myself more, I know when to do what I need to do. Yeah, I love that answer. One of the, the most common bits of feedback I get when I'm kind of work with a female client for three plus months is mm. how nice it is to just know that sometimes when things are not going quite as well for them or they feel a little bit more irritable or anxious or whatever it might be, they can go, oh, okay, I never knew that that was the same point in my cycle. Mm. And with a few maybe relatively small changes in terms of you know differences to maybe social commitments or, or workouts yeah. or just being kind to yourself a few very small changes then go a massively long way in terms of being proactive once you've collected a few months of your own cycle data exactly perfect i mean that's great use of it and then also the other side is just going i know when i've got loads of energy yeah. i know when i sleep really well i know when i've got loads yeah. of energy so conquer i'm gonna do i'm gonna conquer it yeah. and i'm gonna plan accordingly and you know it, it, i think again it does come back to this difference that you know I've been oh, I don't think I mind saying I've been with my husband for nearly 20 years and I always just he is he's so on a level there is no real change in his moods and it's amazing and, and he's got one brother um and he's just like obviously I would like to say this is the longest relationship he's had I don't think he's had another 20 <laughs> relationships that would make him very yeah, old no it wouldn't um and he's just like to really understand all these phases in your life. He said that's the biggest thing that, you know, when we talk about it, because obviously we talk about women's health because he's not medical at all. But I just, you know, say this is all we're going to talk. He doesn't yeah. get a choice. Exactly. Um, and, you know, he's got two daughters. So he is. He's really motivated Good. to understand this for sure. And he's just like to understand, you know, just the kind of cyclical nature of things from a month to a month but also understand from a year to a year to also understand you pre-pregnancy pregnancy post-pregnancy you know and now going into perimenopause being in perimenopause for sure like it's it's understanding all those different phases of the life 
And then I say to him, but what phases have you gone through? And he's just, it's just not like that for me. And I'm like, no. And and that's, it's not that I'm better or I'm more special than he is or, or vice versa. It's just, it's different. And it's understanding that those are the differences. And I think it's it's a difficult time now to talk about differences between men and women. But I still just go, but ultimately I can't change science and that's why I love science. It is reproducible, it is evidence-based. There are differences here and we need to stop burying our head in the sand and just damn well get on with sorting them out. Do you think this is a question that's probably super loaded and maybe isn't appropriate for the end, kind of towards <laughs> the end of a podcast, but I've, I've kind of always had this question in my mind and what you've said there is, is just kind of reminded me of it. And it's, and this is like not a rhetorical question, you know, I, um, probably a little bit too young and not a bit worried really about in, really now. not really in that no no don't be worried about it but I get that it's a bit of a loaded question but I, I genuinely don't really have an opinion on this I'm genuinely very curious do you feel like potentially pro-equal rights like pro-feminism men and women are equal has almost been part of the problem kind of kind of caused some of these issues because there are so many differences mm. which as you said are not better or worse or right or wrong they are just different mm -hmm. and do you think that maybe pushing for there are no differences everything should be equal has potentially affected this yeah i definitely get where you're coming from and i do think about it a lot i think um i think i haven't decided i don't know enough to know whether that is a factor i wouldn't be surprised if it is a factor for sure um but i think the more i do in the health space and the more that i work with so many different people and right back as i said at the start i really don't come across these people who've got a massive vendetta i've come across people where there's a miscommunication and I definitely think, you know, the one thing I've done so many different jobs and the one thing that is a constant with how I, what I do in the jobs I do, a big thing is I'm a translator mm. and I can understand where different people are coming from, not just on a personal level, but on a professional level. And if that's what you need, what is the information you need out of this? What's critical for you to be able to take this here? Um, and so a lot of that is, uh, is translation and I think taking on that wrong role you realize that a lot coming back to your question has been a miscommunication when we talk about fem feminism when we talk about equal rights when we talk about things for example equal pay um it get that a loss a lot gets lost in translation around how does that affect you know productivity and performance in the workplace and it all gets bundled up and it's just like oh this is all very difficult and we can't really talk about it and actually it needs to be separated out and being like you know two people a man and a woman doing the same job at the same standard with the you know all of that if everything's the same they need to be paid equally for sure we know that and that is in legislation but you know if a woman is un if there is a um gender pay gap and not enough women are able to reach senior roles that needs to be looked into and health and well-being and the differences in health and well-being and how that has been managed within a workplace in a good or in a bad way or usually a mixed way needs to be incorporated into that and so there is overlap but one is not equal to the other by any means um but i think that I just find it mind boggling that if you've got somebody who is capable, why would you not try to 
enable them to reach their full capability you know and I sit sit there and watch F1 Um, you know my family absolutely love F1 and I watch the fine you know the fine detail and attention that is put to what seemingly from an outsider's perspective and this is probably going to be outrageous but seemingly small bits because I don't fully understand everything but I'm like wow this attention to detail is immense the standards that you are going to are so high the rigor that you apply is incredible and I can appreciate that I don't fully understand it but I can Mm. appreciate that and it's all because you are maximizing and optimizing every single bit of this person's performance okay the car's performance this person's performance and I get it so why do we not apply that to everybody in a workplace that I find mind-boggling why do you want to going back in say we recognize there's hurdles but we're not going to do anything about that why what's the point what is the point there is no point there but there is a lot of resistance but there's always resistance to change there's always resistance to things that make sense and that's just life and that goes back to behavioral science and i'm sure somebody can explain why is there resistance to change but it's not a new notion by any means and that's just where we're in we're just right in the trenches at the moment with it with the resistance and you know i'm i'm happy to a point to explain it um but i will only explain it to people who are happy and interested to learn and if they don't then they'll be they'll lag behind and you know we'll be where we're going to be i have no doubt about it um and you know the people who didn't want to come on board will come on board at some point i've done enough change behaviors in my you know projects in my life they will come on board but they'll always be the ones that are the outliers and and that's fine because they're not having a significant impact in the overall direction going forward so i i think it's best to work out who do you need on board and who's not worth it and then move forward like that yeah, no, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I know it was a bit of a loaded question, but the, mo- the more throughout this episode you kept saying there's differences and you just kept, kind of kept saying it, the more I had to be like, I'd have to ask this question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously lots of nuance, lots of lots of context. We've got a, a few minutes left and I'd love to save plenty of time for people to find out more about yourself and the work that you're doing and where they can find out about your services. So just to kind of round off menstrual cycle tracking, in kind of maybe like a bit of a tick list format, is there any other questions that people typically ask you, any other points that you want to communicate, any kind of objections that you have to doing it that you'd like to kind of quick fire go through so that someone can feel really informed about how and why they should start doing that if they're not already? Sure, yeah, great question. So um, there's lots of options out there around how to do your menstrual tracking. um, And ultimately, um, from what I understand um, from people who use different apps is that people just get, like any app, they get on an app and they work out whether they like it or not. And so I think that that's a very good rule of thumb and you shouldn't look into it any more than that, really. Um, You know, choose what you like and use and then that's going to be effective for you. Um, But I think there is one serious consideration is that when you're signing up to these apps, definitely look at 
the kind of consent. You should be giving consent so that they can collect your data and potentially use your data. And so I know the whole terms and conditions that look really tiny and typically, I know I do it for lots of apps like Tickbox, Tickbox, yeah, it's all fine. But I think um, you should be, you know, it's good practice just for yourself because it is data that's personal to you look at what does what's actually written in those consents um, and so that you're fully aware of as you mentioned you know the privacy how this data is stored how it's used are you happy to be part of it and also um, there's lots of things where these apps are doing collaborations with other parties um, pharma for example university institutions other academic um, organizations and they're always interested in would you be happy for your data to be used in a research and some people aren't and that's absolutely fine but some people are so please do look into that because it's worth taking the time to say you know what are you happy with and if you're happy with something then do tick what you're happy with and if you're not happy make sure you're you're doing the right bit with regard to the tick boxing because um, it'd be such a shame if you'd signed up to something and you weren't happy with what was happening but equally it'd be just as much as a shame really is that if you were happy for some data to be shared for research and you weren't ticked up you know signed up for that so that would always be my kind of little um, just thought around this is is do have a look around at the different apps and see what suits you, but do make sure that you really look in detail around the consent. Yeah, awesome. That's really, really great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. From anything that we've been through today, which obviously has been quite a lot, is there yeah. anything that you're now thinking, oh, I wish I'd added that point or, or rounded that off with something? No, no, I think I think it's all good. Amazing. Yeah, there was so much there. That, that was incredible. But oh, good. Let's, uh, let's just go into where people can find out a little bit more mm-hmm. about your work, your services. Obviously, you offer a few like private services now. So there might be some people interested in hearing more about those. So Yeah, definitely. So um, I have my own company, MFG Health Consulting. You can just Google me and find me. Um, I have a website, but I'm mainly on socials with regard to LinkedIn and Instagram Um, and you know I do a lot around really in women's health as you know um, education innovation and implementation so anyone who's doing anything across those fields or wants a bit more um, advice or interest with regard to that if they're wanting somebody to help with that in any way please do reach out I'd love to speak to you amazing yeah i couldn't recommend michelle's work enough so definitely consider that if you're in this space your kind of zoomed out approach to obviously got the medical background word in women's space but now as you've already explained kind of looking a little bit more and like okay how can businesses and maybe tech in particular try and speed up this long lag time that we have so that ultimately we can move this forward that's a really interesting space so you've got obviously a very unique ability to kind of look at both those worlds and and therefore i'm sure some people will be looking to reach out for your consultancy services definitely thank you very much thank you so much for coming on today i know you've got so much on at the moment so (laughs) to take kind of a couple of hours out your day to travel down from cambridge right yeah yeah so yeah i mean can't appreciate that enough for anyone listening that has took something from that which is obviously going to be everyone please uh do feel free to let michelle know if you've got any questions or if you've got feedback because obviously the round trip plus the podcast that's a big commitment so make sure you let michelle know if you enjoyed today's episode and thank you so much again for for coming on thank you for inviting me i've had a great time really enjoyed it if you've enjoyed today's episode it would be amazing if you could do us a massive favor and leave us a review and even if possible a comment the reason why this is so useful for us is it allows us to know which type of content and which guests are best going to be relevant for you and your goals so that we can continue to make the podcast even better for you in the future 
Thank you so much so far for all of your support on the Women's Wellness Show.